the Trek Companion, episode 18. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. Today we're discussing DS9's third season episodes, Improbable Cause, Daya's Cast, Explorers, and Family Business. Improbable Cause, Season 3, Episode 20, Production Number 465, Original Air Date, April 24th, 1995, Teleplay by Renee Echevarria, Story by Robert Letterman and David R. Long, Directed by Avery Brooks, Music Composed by David Bell. Guest cast include Andrew Robinson as Garrett, Carlos LaCamara as Retalia, Joseph Freskin as Informant, Darwin Carson as Romulan, Juliana McCarthy as Mila, and Paul Dooley as an Auburn Tain. Garrick's shop is destroyed by an explosion, and although the blast initially appears to be an accident, further investigation reveals that the explosion was, in fact, rigged to look like an accident. With no real leads from Garrick, Odo must take on this investigation, and what he finds is that the Romulans tried to kill Garrick, and Garrick blew up his own shop. I am not Dr. Bashir, and we are not sparring amiably over lunch. Now you dragged me into this investigation, and you are now going to cooperate with me. Dragged you in? I don't know what you're talking You blew up your own shop, Garrick. You guys want to guess what I think the first thing that should be said is? <laughs> How much you love Garrick? <laughs> well, that's interesting. Yes, actually. <laughs> is this your favorite, um, are these your favorite Garrick episodes of you all know, the No, it's interesting. Um, I, no, don't get me wrong. I love Garrick. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I remembered liking these a little bit more than I like them this time. I still like them, but I, I'm kind of wondering, um, especially the first one, uh, Improbable Cause versus Dice Cast, and we're going to discuss them as two separate episodes because uh, they're different enough. But I'm realizing um, I just I love the character of Garrick so much. I love his constant little comments, little his little pseudo jokes and all that kind of stuff that mm-hmm. I could just watch him do anything. <laughs> the same type of story, if it wasn't a Garrick thing, would I be as into it? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think it would have worked without Garrick. You're absolutely right. I mean, you know, just the um, just just the conversations between Garrick and Odo in this mm-hmm. um, first episode were, were great. I mean, you know, you, Odo is a very strong character in this in these episodes, too, and he has some very good scenes, and especially with Garrick. Yeah, Garrick and Odo playing off each other is, is, is what's so great in, in both episodes, and, uh, and it also shows, how, you know, how much... Well, obviously, they're kind of... You see a budding friendship or something, perhaps, you know, but they, yeah. they do make very good adversaries because Odo, you know, their skills are, are such, you know, it's like it's almost it's almost like Odo's about the only one that can really keep up with him. You know, if when they're when they're when <laughs> yeah. they're when their strategy, when they're, you know, got st- their strategies going yeah. and all of that, they can play off each other and all that. Yeah, they're like, a, they're like a, polar a, opposites. A line, oh, a line when they're in um, Odo's office and uh, Odo says something like, um, I'm not going to leave you here to let you, you know, go through my files or something like that. And Garrick says, what makes you think I haven't already gone through them? And then there's a beat. And then Garrick says, I'm joking, of course. And now that's the kind of line he could say to anybody. But kind of on your guys' point about the way these two play so well together, I love his response, which is, of course, you know? Yeah. <laughs> he delivers the line, and it's so perfect for the two of them as a pair, you know? But that's, that's in a smaller sense, that's, that's the kind of... Uh, um, back and forth that they have for both of these episodes today, and that's what makes them work so well together. 
what was the line you know when he was decoding his um the communications device and odo comes over there and he says that's an interesting way what does o- garrick say to him it says something like i thought you might enjoy that or I, I thought that was a great little one two there i mean it was just like hmm, you know <laughs> those little things there not to mention you know they're full-on confrontations and of course, this episode is where we get the uh, that great little boy who cries wolf and his response about oh, never God. tell the same lie twice. You know <laughs> that, that whole bit is is so you know. Um, are, are you sure that's the point? Um, <laughs> what what else could it possibly be that you should never uh, tell the same lie twice regarding um, Garrick's response to the boy who cried wolf? <laughs> um, I love that exchange so much. My God. I, I often forget which episode it's in, mm-hmm. you know, until mm-hmm. like that scene starts, and then I re- I remember oh this is the scene where where, <laughs> where they do the boy who cried wolf, and I get like excited yeah, <laughs> yeah. the scene so I can hear it because and then his, the way he delivers his last line too that you should never tell the same lie twice he says it like as he's turning to leave you know he doesn't even mm-hmm. look at Bashir to see his response <laughs> oh. yeah. So what else did you like about this episode, Brian? Um, I like a couple of the smaller characters that they contact. So Odo goes to see Shadow Guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, Garrick, of course, calls Mila. Um, uh, Do we ever see I the think... Shadow Guy after this episode? Or is this no. The only one? no, this is it. Okay. Um. I, and I like what's interesting. I think with Mila is it, I don't know. I don't know. I may be wrong, but it may be one of the very first times we see Garrick kind of that way about somebody. You know, where you get this genuine feel that he really cares about somebody. I mean, it's not just some playing around or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I really enjoy the scene. Um, maybe it goes on just a hair longer than it needs to, but I, I like the scene with between Odo and the. Um, I wrote down olfactory assassin. <laughs> Sounds like he's going to kill somebody's nose though, doesn't it? Um, I like that scene when he's um, interrogating him. And, you know, I, my favorite thing about Garrick is that every damn line is subtext, right? That's yeah. what makes it so much fun. Well, that scene with Odo and the assassin, you know, there's so much like subtext to, you know, I, I love it when, they're having a conversation that if he read the script, it would sound like they're talking about something completely different than what mm-hmm. we know they're talking about. And the entire scene goes on that way until the very, very, very end, you know, when Odo just says, oh, in fact, it means if, if I combine all these, these ingredients together, it makes a, a weapon or whatever. Um, and I, I really enjoy uh, moments like that. So that, that for me was like the Garrick in Odo, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <coughs> um, what was your, uh, Steve, what was your favorite scene in this episode? I know exactly what my favorite scene is, but what, what was your favorite scene in this episode? Hmm. Gosh. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't really write down what my favorite scene was. There was a lot of, uh, a lot of good stuff. Um, I could probably uh, tell you something. Um, I, um, I, I did like where, um, Odo talk tell you know just you know tells him that he knows he blew up his own ship. I, I that for some reason that stick blew up his own shop because uh, that just sticks in my head. You know they're they're back yeah. and forth and he looked at this genuine shock on. I mean for a second it's like he really is. Oop, I've I've, found, I've been found out. He's smart enough to get it. You know and that kind of that, that exchange I like that. You know yeah that's but my favorite scene too. That mm-hmm. is absolutely my favorite scene and the build up to that. You dragged me into this. What are you talking about? You blew up your own shop. 
and the <laughs> beat in the whole scene that's like silent. You know, it's like building, building, and then you blew up your own shop. <laughs> well, don't think I've seen that look on your face. <laughs> Is it surprise? You know, uh, that's that's my favorite scene in the episode. It's always the very memorable moment, and it's a and it's a great narrative payoff too. Mm-hmm. You know, and then. Um, I don't know if the scene is before or after that, but the scene when uh, after the Romulans kill the old factory assassin and they're in the, the ready room or whatever, and um, and Cisco asks, "Why would somebody? Why would the Romulans want to kill uh, Garrick?" And uh, Garrick says, "I don't know." And then Odo has, and then Cisco says, "You know, darn it, tell me whatever." And then Odo has the bit about. He really doesn't know. Otherwise, he'd be spinning in a level. <laughs> and I, I love that moment, too, you know, when Garrick is kind of... Well, he's kind of found out. And he's kind know? of afraid, yeah. you know? Um, well, I, mean, I guess for a character like him, it would be kind of disconcerting, you know? This, this He's probably been, except for when he's been on DS9, has been in, used to being in control of everything that's going on around him. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm sure that fear kicked in big time. And it's like, oh, what's going to happen next? When he's usually the one, you know, making things happen. Yeah, I think I think that I think that's kind of the deal. I think a character like Garrick, you know, you can go on for some time with a character that's that seems to be indestructible, sort of. You know, they're always a step ahead of everyone else. But at some point, there has to be vulnerability, even if it takes years yeah. in a series. There's got to be something that shows through. Otherwise, there, there's just nothing, nothing human about them, or something. Nothing you can relate to. Well, they're, yeah. they're kind of just one-dimensional characters in that sense. Yeah. Superman has to have kryptonite. You know, there's got to be something. Yeah. Um, which is the reason, um, I think you mentioned it, Steve, uh, why it was nice when he calls uh, Mila. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's mm-hmm. that sense of uh, humanity with him there. Um, what about the the last scene there when we get to Tane and uh, he has the bit about, you know, I never betrayed you. Um, I don't. We don't ever get the real exact uh, content to what he's talking about there, do we? I don't future? think so. No, what, what no. the betrayal is about, if, yeah. if it is, I don't recall, no. I don't even remember if that was in, if uh, Robinson wrote that into Stitch in Time or not. I don't think it was. Um, All we had is the, the lies that he told Bashir about a transport blowing up. Sort of oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but <coughs> I, I was struck in a way by how uh, talky this episode was mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know even the next episode dice cast is a uh, it's pretty talky as well but we do get probably the biggest battle in star trek tv history up to this point in the next episode mm-hmm. um but it is a very talky episode now i wondered how much how much of that was the fact that they didn't plan this to be a two-parter you know and they had yeah. to write some extra scenes and stretch it out over two parts they had a lot going on in this episode. I'd agree. I mean, you know, there, it was kind of hard for me to write the description because it's there's so much going on in mm-hmm. this episode, mm-hmm. and um, it, I, there was a lot of setup for it. And so, I mean, and plus they've been building up to this for a while. This episode, you know, with you know the Romulans and Cardassians coming together. So, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of impressed how much they did fit into this episode and kind of have a nice rhythm throughout the whole show, where there's no too much lull or too much, you know. That I, I just thought the rhythm of the, the show was good. So, Do you guys this have is, anything? Uh, go mm-hmm. ahead. 
I was just thinking, this isn't necessarily my point of view, but it's just kind of a curiosity what you guys would think. But do you think there is any kind of correlation with episodes that have to have a lot of dialogue and how and how 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 much quality they come across as or what kind of feel they give you of being, a, a, you know, a cohesive whole and, and delivering something? You know what I mean? Like, I, I think sometimes there isn't like an inverse relationship <laughs> between that. You know, if you have something that's more often than not, if something is particularly talking and full of exposition and such, it can come off as lacking something, you know, or mm. it's just yeah. too much, too much. I don't necessarily necessarily the case with this one, but I think oftentimes that might be the case. I think well, they had a lot going on in the background. They had a lot of political intrigue. And so it kind of even when the story at the talky, same time. Even when something's talky, I would rather not think this is kind of talky. I would, if I have to, if I write down in my notes, talky episode <laughs> yeah yeah maybe that implies that it's a little too talky um we certainly had episodes that were too talky um sometimes it's not it's not just uh, the way it's written it's the way this story is told or, or the way it's directed for example mm-hmm. um <clears throat> you know you can have uh, a bunch of scenes of talking heads but if it's blocked in a way that it's there's always some momentum who, who directed this episode steve Avery Brooks. Okay. Um, he directed that, uh, the one at the carnival on the station. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and that one had like some camera moves that almost were just for the sake of being moved yeah. or something. Yeah. I don't know. I, ideally, like everything else, I don't want to notice um, whether it's talky or not. I don't want to notice editing. I don't want to. Mm-hmm. be aware of of the music you know all these kind of things once i'm aware of them then it means maybe maybe they could have been a little tighter yeah yeah um but uh we'll talk more about because certainly this episode and the next episode are related thematically so mm-hmm. we'll talk more about what it's about in the next one i think unless you, you guys feel like you have something different to say as far as what this one's about versus the next episode well, I kind of think I, this one. I think this one kind of sets up what the what the real point of the two episodes. I think the point of the both episodes are kind of the same, but this episode sets up what what the relationship is between Garrick and Odo, and that's kind mm-hmm. of we can talk more about that later. But that's kind of how I feel. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's go on. The, let's go on. Uh, get closer to the next one if you guys are cool with that. All right, sure. All right. Six degrees four. Improbable cause. Steve. Dun, 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 dun. Yes. Joseph, Joseph Ruskin, <clears throat> who you may remember we talked about him earlier. He's going to be there this weekend, by the way. Joseph Ruskin, right. man, he must be, he's got to be at least in his mid-80s. I would think so. Yeah, Joseph Ruskin plays the um, mysterious Cardassian informant that Odo visits in the caves. Uh, we last saw Ruskin as a Klingon earlier this season when he played Tumek. Uh, he will return as that character in DS9's fifth season. Name either episode in which he plays the Klingon to Mech. Hmm. Alrighty. The one either we've covered or the one we will cover, I guess? Either one. Alright. I, I, I'm giving you a little extra leeway because it's a episode title question, and I know you guys hate those. Is it, uh, <laughs> I, may, I may be wrong, but is it uh, House of Quark? House of Cork is correct. That was the previous one that we saw him in. Right. And the next one he's going to be in is Looking for Parmok. Parmek cool. in all the wrong places. All right. Very nice. I wouldn't right. have gotten it. <laughs> I wouldn't have stolen uh, it. 
No, the reason I'm coming on his age is because if we the last time we talked about him in House of Cork, I asked about the original series episode he was in, Gamesters of Triskelion, and he mm-hmm. looked old in that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he's going to be there this weekend. All right, uh, Adam. Juliana McCarthy plays Mila, Tane's old housekeeper and someone that Garrick was obviously close to in his past. This is her first appearance as Mila, but it won't be her last. She'll return in the final two episodes of which season of Deep Space Nine? Season seven. Correct. One to one. <clears throat> we won't talk I think about I got her. the easy I think I got the easy one there, Steven. <laughs> <laughs> we won't talk about her unfortunate fate. <laughs> <laughs> The Die is Cast, Season 3, Episode 21, Production Number 467, Original Air Date, May 1st, 1995. Written by Ronald D. Moore, directed by David Livingston, music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Andrew Robinson as Garrick, Leland Orser as Lovak, Kenneth Marshall as Michael Eddington, Leon Russum as Vice Admiral Todman, Wendy Schenker as Romulan Pilot, and Paul Dooley as Anabran Tane. Garrick rejoins as former mentor, Anabran Tane. And among his first tasks, he is told to question Odo, who is being held prisoner. However, Odo says he knows none of, none of, the, none of his people's secrets, and Garrick believes him. But Tane makes Garrick go further. Reluctantly, Garrick proceeds with his investigation, but this time he uses a device that pre- prevents Odo from changing shape. Go home! I want to go home! And you will, I promise! As soon as this is all over, I promise I'll take you back to Deep Space Nine! No! Not a station. Oh, but my gate. Steve, start us off. I like how it opens. It kind of mirrors the first part, except you have O'Brien and Garrick's spot, and then his Garrick's so absence. Bashir's lunch with O'Brien. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and also their their differences with the eating and talking, and that's fun, <laughs> you know. And uh, um, yeah, I liked how it opened, and uh, I mean, there's a lot of good stuff in this episode. One thing I want to just bring up is, on a side note, I made a note of how it, it almost struck me that Cisco disobeyed orders a little too quickly in this. <laughs> you know, it, it seems like I understand there's it's always the heroic thing for the captain to go, you know, for his crew, go save his crew or whatever. But it just seems like it's a given that, you know, basically, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to leave and take the defiant now, duh. You know, but it didn't it didn't strike me as well. Maybe that's not the best idea. You know, I don't know. You're thinking he should have had a scene with Kira talking him into it. We have to go get Odo. <laughs> I, I don't know. I thought, I thought it needed a little something else to get me there that to, to buy that he would so easily disregard the Admiral's orders, but I don't know. Well, I think that's one of the things that got kind of added in uh, as it became a two-parter. That mm-hmm. became a more slightly meatier uh, storyline. Um. When you talk about the Defiant stuff, there, there's one funny moment to me. When uh, Eddington sabotages uh, the Defiant's cloaking system, and he's so, like, comes up there, I I did it, I'm, I won't happen <laughs> again, uh, I should stay on the bridge, and okay. You know, it, it's so, like, like um, calm and organized, and, like, even even sabotage in Starfleet is, you know, a well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, very uniform and clean, you know? Yeah, yeah. Hey Brian, Brian, do you think this episode would have worked um, without um, the Defiant stuff in it? Do you think maybe if they did more of um, the Odo and what was going on with the Romulans and Cardassians, it would have been better? Or do you like it the well, way? It's funny, it came you know. Out? I, I, I one, one thing I thought I was conscious of here. 
I remember the, the most memorable thing out of this to me was all is always has always been uh, the torture scene uh, with Odo, and yeah. I remember that sequence where he's falling apart literally, like flaking off and stuff. I remember that as being a whole bunch of shots, like cutting back to it and cutting back to it, and he's getting worse and worse. That's not what I, it's one yeah. scene. It's yeah. one scene. It only happens one time, <clears throat> and it's that effective that in my mind it was like half the episode. <laughs> it, is, it isn't. It's one scene. Um, so already the Garrick and Odo stuff has a very heavy weight in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I've never felt like the divine stuff really takes away. It does feel a bit unnecessary because seeing them pursue, they're not really actively pursuing, you know, they, they go through the wormhole, the cloaking device goes down, they stop and make repairs. You know, as funny that, as that, that was, I think that kind of cut necessary. Out. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> but does it hurt hurt the episode that it's there? I don't think so because you know we get some we relieve some tension by by leaving um, Garrick and Odo. A little comedy relief there in the middle. Oh, you mean with the Defiant? Yeah. Well, I mean you know mm-hmm. the whole you know O'Brien thing. It's kind of funny to see O'Brien mad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I uh, I don't think, and I'll have to, you know, obviously Eddington is a fairly new character in this series at this point, but I, I believe I never like him. But what's interesting is that I never like him in so many different ways. You know, like <laughs> there's like, I don't like him like this, but then there's obvious stuff down the line that I'm not going to like him for either. And I don't know. It, it, and it's not the same thing. It's not just that he irks me in general. It's just like, oh, here he goes doing this now. I'm not happy with, you know, but it's, it's the way that the character is written. Yes, it's what the character is doing that you don't like. It's not the performance. Yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't. I don't mean no, that. Just, I, I, just I wish I wasn't there. Okay. Yeah, I, I just he he gets to you. You know, just you know. Do you think the writers knew then that what they were going to do with um sure, Eddington? Uh, no, no. Well, there's a scene that works in on that defiant. You know where um Cisco says I, I always make it a policy to take the word of an officer or something. Mm-hmm. So like, I mean, just looking forward, you know, it's just kind of it plays true. It just you can kind of see where Cisco mm-hmm. gets so pissed off later on. <laughs> yeah, this guy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious. Do you guys remember? I, I feel like I ask this type of question unfairly often, but do you remember the first time you saw this? Did you? What did you think was going to happen? Did you think that when they when the ship got to the Dominion homeworld, they were going to have a actually be uh, battling with the changelings or something? Did you have any inkling that that this was a changeling setup? I, I don't. I don't remember. I, I do not remember. My inclination would be to say no, because we didn't really know a lot about the change. Looking changelings at this point in time, we didn't know. You know, we haven't had the episode where they're like masquerading as Federation people yet. So, I think isn't this the first episode where we see them? You know, because there's the Romulan. Um, Who's a changeling? Because it's the first time we see like a changeling impersonating another person, oh, like basically embedded in some kind of military or something. Right. Mm. Not sure. I'm, okay. Uh, what do you think of the uh, the torture scene? I mentioned it already is is being the most memorable th- memorable thing for me. Um, I, I agree with that. I mean, that's definitely what sticks out. I think you know, and um, I, you know, it's, it's and it's hard to discern how much of that is the writing and how much is their performance. You know, uh, performances because they're just they're just so solid together in that whole thing. You know, it's very well, memorable. it plays up to that nice kind of crescendo. Uh, the top point there when Odo says, "I want to go home." My, my that's my that's my big secret. I want to mm-hmm. go home. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that still kind of surprises me because we haven't really seen <clears throat> we've only seen his desire you know we've, we've only seen his feelings of not wanting to be with with his people yeah um, so at first it surprises me yes. um mm-hmm. but then you think about i don't know if you guys have ever <clears throat> i don't know traveled somewhere or something that was just so totally different from from home mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and when i think about it that way i I understand, you know, and it's, it's certainly conflicting when you think of your people as like <laughs> the Nazis or something, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but they are your people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's probably just that he, he, he puts up so much, uh, he has, he has his shields, you know, he doesn't like people to get close to him. And so that kind of thing, that comes off to the viewer as well. You know, it's hard to know who he is really. And it's, so it's, perfectly plausible that somewhere deep down he feels that way because he may not really be even admitting that to himself and that's what makes the pair between Garrick and Odo so good here mm-hmm. is because deep down we all know Garrick doesn't want to be on Deep Space Nine mm-hmm. working in a tailor shop you know he wants to be yeah. with his people and he also is the outcast we've talked about that sort of thing before um, and that's kind of where this episode goes for me because as far as what it's about Mm -hmm. Um, because you've got Odo in that very state you've got Garrick reminding us that he isn't such a nice guy you know he he tortures Odo uh, so that he can get one step closer to being um, returned to his home and his people um Actually, that just reminded me, I, I like that line he has uh, where Odo is kind of surprised that he's going to, uh, I don't know if it's the same scene where he says, oh no, you're going to torture me or something. I don't mm-hmm. remember. But Garrick says, uh, when, when Odo seems surprised, Garrick's like, you and I, I, I can understand why you're surprised because you and I have been s- through so much together and we're so close. <laughs> 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 Yeah. <laughs> um, well, the surprising thing about that is, like, I mean, um, he was he was he was lying there, but I mean, it actually ended up being true. You know, by mm-hmm. the end of that interrogation. Well, I mean, I'll say that. Go ahead. Well, I mean, part of I mean, one of the, I think one of the the best one of my favorite parts is when Garrick is just pleading with Odo to say anything. You know, lie to me. He mm-hmm. just wants him to say anything because he wants it to end. And I think that's where you know you see, and then. He turns off the device and Garrett goes to the table and he's got his face in his hands. And I think that's where you, I think that's where he first realizes that he he can never go back to what he was ever Mm -hmm. again. And so you were leading to the notion of the whole, so that's what your belief in what it's kind of about is the uh, notion of, I don't know, people people misplaced what is home what is family what is where does one go when you can't go home something like that yeah and, and I like this this idea like Adam was just discussing you know once you've you know you can't go back mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know you can't go back um, yeah and that's where the real fear comes in when, when, with Garrett because he doesn't know what he's going to be now well, I, I love the the last scene of this episode. I've always remembered it's it's mm-hmm. shot such an interesting way. You know, it's kind of all in silhouette and the mirror and stuff. Yeah, it's a great and, shot. And um, 
and Garrick has his line about you know it's Garrick and Odo and Garrick says you know what the sad part is Odo I'm a very good tailor <laughs> and, then, and then um you know Odo says uh, we should have breakfast Garrick I thought you didn't eat and, uh Odo says I don't but the the shot says a lot. The, to me, the shot composition says a lot because you have the mirror because they're kind of mirror images of each other. So mm-hmm. the, you know, it, uh, the sh- I love the shot. And it's one mm-hmm. that really stands yeah. out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what are you guys' yeah. ideas for what it's about? Well, to to pinpoint, I mean, you know, it's like um, these in two parters. These these characters are, are mirror images of each other in a sort of like opposite way you know you have Odo who's law you know all that and you have Garrick who's who's lies and so but they're very much alike and um I think they both realize at the end of this episode that they I think Odo realized it earlier in the season but we see it with Garrick that you just you can't go home yet until you kind of fix yourself I suppose and that eventually happens for both of them yeah yeah I mean it's hard to pinpoint exactly what, you know, we've talked about a number of things here, but, um, but definitely this notion of not being able to go home, where does one's allegiances lie? Um, and I like the idea of sometimes people can get so lost in not knowing the truth and what they feel with themselves. Sometimes it takes, you know, extreme events or, or interaction with other people in that situation to, to really discover that in yourself. You know, Garrick is the last person (laughs) who would even want uh, to change or more to the point for people, he wouldn't want people to see that he, Yeah, you know, I, I don't think he was proud of the fact that he felt remorse about torturing Odo. That was kind of a, <laughs> mm-hmm. a lot of yeah. negatives there, but <clears throat> you know, I think he, w- I think he kind of wishes that he was still, that person that he once was. I think he, maybe he liked that person better. Now, maybe yeah. by the end of this series, that's not going to be the case. But here, he is um, coming to grips with those changes. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And it's okay. nice to see, it's nice to see Garrett grow. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we, it, uh, we have to just mention that um, the massive battle sequence in this one, I, it felt, you feel like, man, this must have been the FX budget for the entire season. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's epic. It's cool. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool when you know the Defiant kind of crushes through that one mm-hmm, shit. Although mm-hmm. I, every time I always wonder, am I the only person that thinks why are the Jemadar firing on Odo's runabout? Uh, I'm the same. I'm with you, buddy. I'm thinking <laughs> that too. I was like, <laughs> yeah, okay. I guess they didn't. I guess they didn't get that um, call. Not to they didn't. They didn't get the memo. Yeah, exactly. exactly. They didn't like, get the memo. <laughs> Six degrees for dice cast. We're one to one. Steve. Yes. Leland Orser plays the Romulan changing, uh, changeling Lovak. Orser has played several roles on Trek, including uh, the character Loomis in the third season Enterprise episode Carpenter Street. Loomis is a 21st century human living in Detroit. The Zindi reptilians have enlisted his help. What's he doing for them? And I can, I'll offer you a hint if you need it. I need it. Okay. Loomis works at a blood bank. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I remember, I remember the notion here and stuff, but um, what's he doing for the um, Zindi reptilians? Zindian reptilians. Mm. 
is he uh, I don't know, collecting human bodies for them or something? Yeah, he's 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 ta- tasked with securing eight humans with specific blood types. Ah, I gave you that one. Good one. I would give you that one too, Adam. <laughs> I was going to say blood. <laughs> uh, Leon Russum plays Vice Admiral Todman, uh, who orders Cisco not to take the Defiant into the Gamma Quadrant. In which Star Trek feature did Russum play the Federation Fleet Admiral and order Kirk and crew to rendezvous with the vessel named Kronos One? That would be Star Trek Six: The Undiscovered Country. Correct. Star Trek Six: The Undiscovered Country. Oh, my questions are too easy today. (laughs) (laughs) Explorers, Season 3, Episode 22, Production Number 468. Original air date, May 8th, 1995. Teleplay by Renee Echevarria. Story by Hilary J. Bader. Directed by Cliff Bull. Music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Mark Lamo as Gold Ducat, Barry Hochwald as Dr. Elizabeth Lenz, and Chase Masterson as Lita. Cisco returns from a trip to Bajor with the blueprint to build an ancient space vessel that operates like a sailboat using solar pressure for propulsion. According to legend, the Bajorans use these ships to explore their star system, even going as far as Cardassia. Cisco and Jake undertake this journey together to prove the Bajoran ships worked, and along the way they strengthen their father and son bond. All right, I'll agree to meet her on one condition. <laughs> what? That you agree not to base your decision about going to Pennington on how our date turns out. Don't worry. I won't. I've already decided to wait at least a year. Hammock time, yo. (laughs) 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 That killed me when that happened the first time. I remember watching that the first time. I was like, what? What did you just say? (laughs) Well, you know, the color of his outfit is kind of uh, hammer-y. Yeah. 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 That that's where they drew the line. They decided not to have him yeah. do the dance across the <laughs> across the deck. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why they made it so low. We get some awesome firsts in this episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lita. Yes. Uh some facial hair. Lita. And Cisco's beard, yeah. Mm-hmm. The beard. Given a choice, I'll take Lita over Cisco's beard, but <laughs> <laughs> At first, it's not like they're connected. Like, now, isn't it? We're so used to seeing either the Cisco before this, or the Cisco with just the bald head and you know the goatee. Yeah. Right? So yeah. this is the transition episodes. The transition things. It feels weird to me. It's kind of like when, like, uh, you know, Bruce Banner's becoming the Hulk. The mid part is weird. You know, you yeah. don't. It's disturbing. You don't want to see that guy. Yeah. One or the other. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, it's funny too because there there are two things that make Star Trek look dated to me. Mm-hmm. One, it's the uniform, the older uniforms, so the pre-first contact uniforms, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So Trek chronology, the most recent uniform, we know what it looks like. Was the change that was made with first contact, and it'll be the next season of DS Nine, right? Or my I season it's five, I think. Yeah. Okay, season five of DS Nine never really happens in Voyager, right? Because they were stuck in the. Right. Yeah, yeah, same Modern. uniforms. Anyway, seeing, the, seeing these uniforms makes stuff feel dated. That's one. And two, seeing uh, Cisco without facial hair and with hair on top of his head, that makes mm-hmm. it feel dated. Mm-hmm. So I'm very excited that one of those two things that's going to make DS9 feel so contemporary for me has already mm-hmm. begun. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> so. what, what do you think it took um, Star Trek so long to go to multi-uniforms? Was it just a budget thing or just, I mean, because you look at any kind of military S type thing, they have like a bunch of different uniforms. But, you know, we always see them in the same. I actually like a lot of the wardrobe in DS9 just because you get to see all the aliens wearing different things. I like Quark's outfit. But, I mean, it's, uh, I was just wondering why it took them so long to kind of spoof up the uniform since we were talking about that. I'm sure cost was, um, mm-hmm. was a big part of it. Um, I know the reason that Sis, uh, Sis, <laughs> Brooks always prefers the facial hair and the bald head, right? Um <laughs> But uh, the producers, when the show started, they didn't want him looking like Spencer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he knew within a couple of seasons he was so big that he could kind of do what he wanted, and that's what happened. Mm-hmm. He couldn't really stop him anymore. So, but I, I always wonder if like were these transition episodes part of the deal or something. <laughs> this may be the longest in history anyone's ever talked about his facial hair. So, All right. We'll, we'll go to the next topic. Um, As always, I really love the stuff between, you know, Benjamin and Jake, you know, all their interactions. I think it's very, it's very moving when Jake, it makes it clear he doesn't want to go. And then it's also very moving when he shows up and it's like, uh, you know, it's clear that he he does want to go and how happy. On the trip. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's nice. As opposed to, uh, you know, it's, it's moving that he doesn't want to go to take his um, writing scholarship because he doesn't want to leave his dad all alone. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually like the scene where he about the Maquis. <laughs> He's oh, yeah, like, I can't funny. talk about it. <laughs> I had to go in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> one thing I think about when I'm watching this episode is that ship, it's like this whole story is so rooted in um, having to have that solar. They don't call it a solar sail, or, but I always want to say solar sail. That's what they were. That's what they were called in Tron, wasn't it? It's the solar sailor. Uh, yeah, I think so. Anyway, the solar sailing type vessel. But mm-hmm. um, you could, that's this is an example of a story you could not have had in the original series because they couldn't have done that ship in the original series. You couldn't have done that ship without CG. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. It would look funky as a model. Yeah, and you couldn't do this story without conceiving of that so this is that's kind of interesting to me um that there's this new you know we kind of started to reach this new level where we we actually conceive of stories uh because we don't have those we don't have fx holding us back the way they used to you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it's a cool ship i love the design it's very pretty yeah. mm-hmm. you think about it um they're up up in space right now developing solar solar sails mm-hmm. so start apparently the in, game. in the real world uh having a, a vessel be powered by you know the solar rays just hitting it like that uh these things would have to be many 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 times larger like yeah. kilometers mm-hmm. um, larger than the uh sails that were on this vessel mm-hmm. but that would look really funny I thought this isn't really a, a peeve. We see this kind of thing all the time, really. But I think it's how it's bizarre that somehow Jake knows what to do. I understand at some point <laughs> he must have shown him, but still, you know, it's kind of like I'm, I think it's bizarre that Cisco knows what to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's weird enough. Yeah. And, well, he built the whole di- whole thing. Well, that's another thing too. When he comes on and he just immediately, you know, there was when he immediately wants to just build the ship. I'm I'm reminded of when he would get those like. Um, the it's almost obsessive compulsive. Well, you know, like, isn't there an episode where he's driven by the prophets to do something? Remember? I, I don't know. Something Bird. like that. Uh, Just stuff like that. That's what it almost seemed like. But there really is no prophet 
Bajoran well, Prophets. that clock he built. What was it, that I, season I, one that or season two? Prophets, but yeah, that was a diff, that was that kind of driven thing that he gets. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not the last time we'll see this kind of behavior out of him. So I, th- I think they've set it up. And but yeah, he has this obsessive compulsive thing where he just when he some light he latches onto something and he just does it. Mm-hmm. I uh, so the secondary story. I mean, uh, it's fine, I guess, and everything. I really like though the. Uh, when they're drunk and carrying on and singing and stuff. So. Uh, Bashir and O'Brien. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of the best moments in the episode whenever whenever he says, you know, I hated you when <laughs> and Bashir says, and now? I don't. I don't. Thank you. What's from the this a, what was this after he says, you either, either love you or hate you? Yeah, right, yeah. right, right. I don't hate you. <laughs> You're a, I love him or hate him kind of guy. <laughs> I like the story that Cisco tells about when he first went to uh, Starfleet Academy and he was beaming home every night uh, yeah. to have dinner in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, it makes you go, man, I wish I could beam to, you know, New York City tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Take <laughs> like five minutes. You want. Yeah. I, I always just, I've always remembered this episode very fondly. Um, it's just another one of those, you know, father son things and it yeah and it just it just works mm-hmm. um i always kind of like the b story too the whole thing with her on the lexington from the lexington and because I, I i've kind of had that experience you know where you you remembered this relationship or or competition as one thing and years later you find out it was such a different experience to the other person yeah um I have a quick question, Brian. Do you think um, Goldicott really had sincere um, worries about Cisco's safety? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was worried that he was going to pull through. <laughs> <laughs> that whole thing is so, you know, nothing unexpected there, but it's so out- outrageous. I mean, you know, it's like, okay, and then they, they show up and there's no bones about how ridiculous it is. Oh, we just discovered the crash site. <laughs> yeah. and then we got fireworks for you, too. How goofy, you know, though. <laughs> It's it's a little weird that that's this one of those few times where I mean I love uh, Ducat but it didn't really need to be Ducat. No. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, it kind of made it stronger because of, you know the Cisco and Ducat um, relationship. But uh, what do you think for what this one's about? I would say bonds. You know, the father son bonds. You know the relationship, and um, you know you could even say um, O'Brien and um, um, the doctor. You know that's a bonding moment, getting drunk and talking about the mm-hmm. the girl that that you lost, type thing. So there's a lot of bonding, and you know, in this in this episode, I think that's bonding is good. a lot to do with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Steve? I mean, if, yeah, if we're if we're looking for something that the stories have in common, you know, definitely uh, the bond bonding is definitely part of it. Um, as far as you know, the the rest of it and what maybe he's trying to accomplish by proving something, you know, that's that's a nice notion that he's you know he's doing all this effort to prove something for an, another race of people and so forth and what they did. I don't know how to translate that and really what the episode's about, but anyway, yeah, just adds, I, it adds. I would say- Go ahead, Brian. Sorry. I would take the bonding one step further and, and say love. You know, O'Brien may not want to say it, <laughs> but that, that's how he feels, you know. And um, obviously, uh, Cisco and Jake have a lot of love for each other and um, care about one another. And, um, and 
Ducat loves Cisco. <laughs> <laughs> of course. No, but I, I think I think that's I think that's what it's getting. <laughs> you know, is um, you can't be about love, but you know, you kind of you grow together, um, which is also uh, something that they've all all four of these characters have done. Mm. Mm-hmm. It was a good episode. I enjoyed it. It holds up. You make an episode about love, it will hold up. There you go. That's <laughs> not the last one we'll see in this series. Nope. There will be more Ducat Cisco love. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be writing some uh, slash fiction in the future episodes. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Six degrees for Explorer. Uh, excuse me, Explorers. I'll get corrected on that. Uh, Adam. Let's go. Barry Hochwald plays Elizabeth Lenz, the doctor that beat Bashir to become valedictorian. Hochwald played two other roles on Trek. The first was in the Voyager seventh season episode, Friendship One. In this episode, she plays Bryn, an ex-Uxali female whose repeated attempts to have a baby have resulted in stillbirths. Why? Stillbirths. Um, I gave Steve a hint earlier. If you want one, I'll I'll make one up. I'll take a hint. <laughs> uh, it does have something to do with the friendship one probe. She did not get probed. <laughs> did not get probed by the friendship. God, this is like on the tip of my tongue, but I don't think I'm going to get it right. Um, the probe was emitting... Was this a time loop? I don't know. I'm going to pass. You can have it. I, I, there's, I can't remember the episode clearly. Okay, Steve. Well, this is... Yeah, I'm a little vague on this, but uh, was there radiation coming from the probe? And That is correct. Friendship 1 uh, was radiating radiation. Can you say that? I don't know. Radiation hmm. from the Earth probe, Friendship 1, has devastated the planet. Okay, so what are we? Was at? there a time to... loop? Was there a time loop in that episode too? Uh, I do one? not believe so. No. Okay. Sorry. It's been a while. Sorry. 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 Right. Not too late. They could rewrite it and. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what do we got here? Three to two. Yes. All right, Steve. Yes. Um, her next Trek role was as uh, E. Ellis in the Enterprise second season episode Marauders. In this episode, the Enterprise crew helps a deuterium mining colony defend itself against. Klingon Marauders. This episode is a retelling of my, as in me, your host, Brian, my favorite film of all time, made by Akira Kurosawa in 1954. Name the film. I can name for you some other remakes of the movie. That's okay. Seven Samurai. You are correct. Seven Samurai. (laughs) (laughs) Now, did you know that because you know Seven Samurai? Did you know that because you know me? I knew because of both. Oh, well, good. (laughs) Because you get more points for... No, I'm <laughs> oh, good. Okay. <laughs> no, it's funny. I was thinking about this episode because uh, my wife had never seen Seven Samurai, my favorite movie of all time. Uh, we watched the uh, Criterion Blu-ray recently. Man, it looked really good. I Everybody should own that movie. Did yeah. I mention it's the greatest movie right. ever made? Yeah. 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 Does it have Garrick in it? Uh, Garrick is not in the movie. Ooh, wouldn't that be <laughs> something? <laughs> Actually, you know, I think Tashir Mifune could have played Garrick, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> Move on. <laughs> 
Family Business, Season 3, Episode 23, Production Number 469. Original air date, May 15, 1995. Written by Iris Stephen Bear and Robert Hewitt Wolf. Directed by Renee Abergenois. Music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Penny Johnson as Cassidy Yates, Max Grinchik as Rom, Jeffrey Combs as Brunt, Mel Green as Secretaria, Secretary, and Andrea Martin as Ishka. Brunt from the Ferengi Commerce Authority, the FCA, serves Quark with a writ of accountability for improper supervision of a family member. Quark and Rom's mother, Ishka, is charged with earning profit, an illegal activity for Ferengi women. As the family's eldest male, Quark is held responsible. So, he goes to Ferengi to convince his headstrong mother she must confess to save his business. But what Quark finds out, his mother has built a small empire and and she is just as stubborn as him. But even if Kaldar didn't know the first thing about profit, he knew everything about family. He was a good husband and a wonderful father. And I loved him for that. The way I love Rom and the way I love you. Is this our first visit to Franginar? I think so. Uh, I like that it looks, the planet looks so different from all the other places. You know, it's like all, mm-hmm, it's yucky. Mm-hmm. It's not a place I'd ever want to go. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know? Yeah. It's kind of I nice to see that. I can't understand why they made the doors lower than than what they were even. They still had Frankie or short and they still had to get through the doors. Uh, yeah, what are they saying? These are taller than average Frankie or what? Yeah. <laughs> 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 There's a lot of funny stuff in this. Anytime they do, especially anytime they do, talking about when they accentuate their um, chauvinism and stuff, that stuff is hilarious. Like, uh, yeah, your mom talks to strangers. She doesn't chew your food. That stuff. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't chew your food. <laughs> the grub worms. <clears throat> um, yeah, I, that's the stuff that. Um, that I think I remember the best about this is 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 Cork talking about her in, in that way. You know, it's he has that line. It's like she went out of her way to embarrass us. Mm-hmm. You know, he hasn't been home in what do you say a couple of decades? Years. Yeah, twenty years. decades. Um, that says something about his memories of home. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it could be kind of understandable. You know, he probably didn't get a a good um, male representation. You know, he wanted to be a stronger. They don't really go into this, but you can kind of think about his psyche that probably unconsciously he wanted to be better than his father ever was. So he just mm. didn't want to be his father. So if you think about Quark and his father, they're kind of opposites. Quark's on the other side of the galaxy. He's, you know, is with a bunch of different women. So, and his dad was <laughs> a family guy. So, and kind of see it, how it works out for Quark. He didn't want to be like his dad. Well, it's just, it really sucks to, to be in a society that, has one value so far above all others to the point where they almost don't value anything but that, right? Mm-hmm. Money. Um, that you're worthless if you excel in any other area. You know, we've seen that with yeah. Rom. Um, he's a great engineer, but that's not taking him anywhere in Ferengi mm-hmm. culture. Right. Um, and that's apparently what happened to Cork's uh, father. Cork's uh, mother has the line about he was a good husband and a runner of a father, and I loved him for that. You know, we get to that line near the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we don't get a good image of his father <laughs> until that point. 
this um you know we kind of have these regular ferengi type ferengi oriented episodes it seems like throughout the series or at least much of the series but this one to me kind of feels like the one of the first ones to kind of kick off certain um you know themes that play out in other episodes you know like strings of stuff like the you know now okay his mom is you know earning profit like she shouldn't and okay that kind of leads to some things that happen later and uh we introduce um you know, Jeffrey Combs character and we see him more too and you know all this kind of connects yeah so this whole this liberal revolution yeah because uh, it's not just women getting rights um, we see you know Rom wouldn't become what he becomes you know he mm-hmm. wouldn't become um, uh, the Grand Nagus if if other values weren't important you know yeah um, that's a good say- point though we, we have to mention First appearance for both Brunt and Captain Yates. Yes, yeah, what did you guys yes. think of the B story? Um, it has a couple of moments that I like. I will say this. I think Penny Johnson was the perfect, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, mate for Avery Brooks. For, you know, mm-hmm. Yates is perfect for Cisco. Um, I love that when he first meets her and something messes up in the ship and uh, she says, I have to go take care of this. And he says, I'll give you a hand. And she's like, I'll take care of it, you know. <laughs> and he's kind of taken aback, and he immediately knows that he went too far, especially for someone he just met. Um, he went too far, and he's like, "Of course, or I forget what his line is," you know. And then she says, "Hey, let's meet for coffee tomorrow." Um, but I like that. It's a it's a simple. She has it's one line for her that tells us and Cisco um, a lot about her, about her, you know, the type of woman she is. You know, she's the captain of this ship. Um, she's confident and she is perfect for Cisco. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to have to disagree with you a little bit and I'm going to okay. have to, um, that's I'm, good. We need more disagreement. <laughs> um, not that I don't think the character wasn't written well. I just never, and you know, I'm going to have to go with, when I rewatch all these episodes with Yates in it, I'm, I'm going to have to reevaluate what I think, but just looking back, I never really liked their relationship because I didn't really feel like there was any chemistry between um, Avery Brooks and, and her. I just, I just never felt any, you know, a good chemistry between the actors. And um, that's, that might just be me, but yeah, I just, I just never really, it was never didn't really feel right to me ever, but I will really evaluate starting well, now. I, I don't know. I mean, there's a reason they don't get married, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess she's a great girlfriend for him. I don't mm-hmm. know. No, no. I always kind of liked it. I always liked the pair. I thought it was good. I mean, I, did I, you ever feel like um, I don't know. Um, Worf and Troy or Worf and Dax. Boy, he gets around, huh? Uh, <laughs> these pairs odd to you? Um, I think the chemistry between um, the chemistry between Worf and Dax was a lot better. I mean, you know, I mean, it was, I mean, you, you look forward to a lot of the times there's a couple, there's at least one episode where, you know, Cisco kind of ignores her the whole, hep, the whole episode and that's because he's dealing with the, the emissary stuff. And um, it's never like she's really that important to him i mean she is but isn't with every i mean obviously he's got a million things going on and that's why i said there's a reason they never get married there's Mm -hmm. a reason he chooses the path he chooses at the end of this series right Mm -hmm. um i don't know i mean i think it might 
like I said, I never saw that conflict in, in him to choose between her and what else he was doing. <clears throat> so I never really bought that Cisco loved her. And I, maybe I would have liked to have seen him actually be in love with her. But I mean, that's just the way they kind of wrote it out. Yeah, yeah. he never acts about her the way he did uh, the red dress. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I, yeah, I kind of I kind of fall in the middle of here. I, I mean, I hear what both you guys are saying, and and I, I think I think what like for me, it's like I don't object to anything. It never struck me as bizarre. But you kind of refer to some of these other relationships we saw in Trek too, and I think I don't know. To me, that just kind of uh, accentuates that um, rarely rarely is our real relationships like often what we see on television. I mean, I think yeah. we historically gotten so used to in, in not all, you know, a lot of times there's realistic stuff in films and TV, but we get so used to seeing so much, you know, set up where everything's just either the ideal or some kind of stereotypical scenario occurs or whatever that we've kind of forget that in real life, usually it's a mix of a little bit of chemistry and circumstance and yeah. where you are in your life at the time. And often it's not that there's not like a whole lot of sparks flying and stuff like that. It's just not how it happens, you know? Yeah, it doesn't well, yeah, usually happen like the red dress. It happens more like this. Yeah, I mean, well, it, well if you've mentioned Worf and Dax, I mean, that that's a very passionate relationship. I mean, there's a great episode where what, they're going to get a Cardassian informant. They're going to the forest, and doesn't she get injured? And basically yeah. Worf, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. he jeopardizes his whole life to save her. You know, and you know, and you get that line at the end of the episode. He's like, "You are my life." That's and so, you know, you never really saw that with um these two, but yeah, like but, said, but that's why be- I'm saying that's why I'm saying it doesn't bother me because if he ever said that to her, then I would feel like, okay, that came out of left field. You are my life. What? No, <laughs> they, there's never any. They don't have that kind of relationship. They never seem that close. And if they'd gotten that close, it might have felt forced. But what well, they see, have, what the- well, see, my argument is then what's the point of having the relationship? It didn't really either grow either character uh, to me. Well, I, I think that, um, honestly, I think this is the closest relationship that a captain, Yeah. okay, he's not a captain yet, but he will be soon, that a captain uh, uh, of a Star Trek show can have. Mm-hmm. I mean, have we ever seen, was there any other Star Trek captain that had a relationship as long as he has with Yates? I don't believe so, no. Um, and that is because as Kirk put it in the original series, you know, uh, the Enterprise was his mistress. You know, I think that, she, I think that he can only get so close. And but we, with Cisco, but, he's got more than the Federation. He's got, he's, he's the... Well, I don't... Sorry. Yeah, but, we, yeah, but we, we did see the other captains love other women, not just, you know, date them. And that's just the yeah, kind of relationship I like see with me. An episode, you know, never for years. That's my... Yeah, it, yeah I, I heard what you're saying. So it it works for me because they never get that close. I guess is my point. So on my, my my point is like if you're not going to grow the characters there, then why even bother with it in the writing? Because to me, it's it doesn't really do anything for either character. It doesn't enhance them. It doesn't make them less. It's just kind of stagnant to me the whole way through. But like I said, I'm going to keep an open mind the next time through. This time through, I like I like uh, I like your uh, Steve. I like your point a lot too. Mm-hmm. Here it works. Um. But that is our the B story, and the A story is with our pal Quark. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a great story. I mean, it's, my favorite thing is like when he's when he's hauling when he's going up the stairs, you see him huffing and puffing, and his line is like, "What was it? Um, seven bars for the elevator, <laughs> <laughs> or seven strips for the elevator?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll I'll wait in the chair. Three strips. 
Yeah, I'll stand one strip. <laughs> well, you imagine how exhausting such a life is. I, I mean, you know, you're negotiating for everything. Oh my goodness! How many strips do you got to carry with you? You got to carry a lot of money with you all the time. But yeah, you know, yeah. You think at that point, point it would just be a thumbprint, just automatically? Everybody withdraw. pays for everything. Nobody has anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like in the previous episode or a couple episodes back. Um, when Odo says to Garrick and Tane, you both go to such lengths to hide your true feelings, you end up saying nothing. You know, it kind of cancels it out, and that's kind of my 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 image of life on Franganar. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's kind of it's just silly. It'd be interesting to see, you know, and I'm sure this stuff exists, but some kind of analysis of what you know, what's, what would be the likely circumstances and history of a culture to come to this point, you know, where they're, they're at this evolved space, they're a spacefaring civilization, you know, and yet they have this, you know, great hang up on the, uh, on monetary, you know, negotiation. Uh, actually, and- <clears throat> um, if you get on a plane and come to Hollywood, <laughs> you can you can uh, experience pretty close. I think. Well, you know yeah. what, what struck. I, I was going to say, and I, I thought I don't know. I think about it, but you know, it's uh, I'm in I'm in the Kansas City area, and you're in L.A. And and you know, there's certain things when you go there, and there's immediate differences. Um, but uh, you know, this isn't really this. This isn't really maybe a good analogy, but like parking. For example, and this is a big city thing, but here it took me, I mean, now I'm used to when I go there, I know what to expect, but it's still my, my gut is that you go to a store and you park for free because you're going to the store, you know I mean? So there, and then there it's like everything. And so what's next? You pay to go to the bathroom, probably some places I'm sure you pay, you know, all this kind of thing, you know? Wasn't well, it, isn't it funny? You know, the, you know, we look at the frog and the thing that disgusts us most about them is kind of has a lot of um, mirror images to the way our society is and it's kind of um, not a good thing yeah and that's always what's so great about when they when they take they take an element of humanity in Star Trek whatever race you're talking about and then accentuate it in one race and that helps bring it out and let us see it you know what's it about family family Business, not <laughs> family, family, business, business. You got your chocolate and my peanut butter. <laughs> I, I, I like, uh, there's one kind of smaller sublime that I, I like to think a lot about. Um, Cork is so big on um, tradition and he's almost too smart for his own good. You know, mm-hmm. he has a line, you know, when she says, why can't I earn profit or something that affects us? Because it's the law. You know, it was good enough for father. It's good enough for me, you know, but he's really too smart to be like that. He He's a smart guy. He's, yeah. he's a compassionate guy. He's going to think about that, really. He's going to think, why is it so? You know, is this fair? Um, and I know that he wishes he wasn't that smart. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. I know he wishes he could just ignore that and be yeah. what he believes is a good Ferengi. Stern prophet. Yeah. I don't know if I had to. If I had to try to narrow down what it's about, it'd, it'd be uh, something to the effect of that: having to come to you know coming to terms with one's. Um, your 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 own values versus the values of your society and reconciling that to some extent, you know. Um, by by Ferengi cultural norms, maybe he shouldn't even love his father, you know, because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. his right. father was a terrible businessman. Yeah. Yeah. 
but he does. Moogie, Moogie did. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when he was alive, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what you're alluding to there with talking about Quark and, uh, you know, his who he is deep down and so forth. And I think that kind of comes out, too. It's like he's so much that way that he has to delude himself to exist. He talks about he talks as if his father was great. You know, he's, he's acts yeah. like his yep. mom yep. made life difficult for him or whatever, when he knows logically that he wasn't a good businessman. He knows that, you know, but he's having mm-hmm. to kind of ch- change history around his head to, to reconcile it. Uh, the last thing I wrote in my notes here was baseball with two exclamation points. <laughs> <laughs> I like. I have to wonder with the baseball stuff. Is I wonder what the equivalent would be today. You don't get a good feel for like, like it was as a percentage. How many people are even aware of baseball or care about it or anything in that time? You know, and, and well, I think just, the fact is that when sports, there have been plenty of sports that have died out that nobody plays yeah. anymore. There isn't one that you look back on and you're like, man, people should still play that because it's really good. That's the reason they usually die out. You know? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, it makes me wonder, like, what would be the analogy today? It would be like if a person's, you know, said, you know what's awesome is this sport that whatever it is, make up something from 200 years ago. Let's have a league or whatever. I wonder what the equivalent would be. Well, maybe like old, you know, when you look at like old fashioned baseball, I know they like play some old fashioned baseball games up here. Where they, the old fashioned, they don't have gloves. The balls were soft. So mm-hmm. it's, um, that's kind of the only equivalent I can think of. I mean, you know. The, mm-hmm. the Olympics were brought back after being dormant for quite some time. Sure, yeah, sure. You know, but it's still not the same thing. Hmm. It's kind of hard to say when, you know, in the United States, you know, we like different sports from the other parts of the world. I mean, we kind of embrace soccer, but not really. And so it's hard to say what a dead sport. I mean, you have a guess, because Brian's right. If it dies, it means it's not popular. Nobody cares about it anymore. <laughs> Uh, Steve Steve is always so conflicted with these sorts of things because on one hand he's just excited to hear anything about baseball but on the other <laughs> hand he's saddened by a future that is locked out. See, yeah. see, see this is where I see the, this is where Star Trek made a mistake. Baseball baseball will still be around in two or yeah. three hundred years. It's not gonna yeah. go anywhere. As we're on Skype here, I'm looking at the picture of you, Adam, and what field am I looking at? Is that it's not Wrigley, is it? Well it's Yankee Stadium. Oh, that's Yankee. Okay. The it's old Yankee Stadium. <laughs> oh, right. The one. Yeah. Okay. People are sick of hearing about baseball. <laughs> you ready, ready for football, Brian? Um, yeah, I'm ready for some football. <laughs> you know what? What are you, you going to do when There's they put a football team in LA? I Star Trek. <laughs> they didn't bring in football. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's dead and gone so long. No one even brings it up. Yeah. No one even yeah, cares to talk about it. <laughs> that's it. Oh man, we're losing our football listeners right now. I, I think it, I apologize. I'm sorry. That's why Brian loves L.A. because football's dead in L.A. They've been trying. They've been trying every year. Okay, now we're really wasting. All right, okay. moving on. Uh, what's our score? I think it's four two. Four two. Oh my god. Oh. Steve. Yes. Jeffrey Combs makes his first appearance as Brunt, the FCA agent uh, that makes life hard for Cork. Combs may be best known for playing Brunt, Wayun, and Shran on Trek, but he has played other Trek roles, including Kevin Mulcahy, an NYPD officer working the streets of Harlem in 1953 in DS9's sixth season. Name the episode. 
Oh, okay. I kind of forgot about it's a great that. Episode but, yeah. title? Yep. Yes. Um, it is Far Beyond the Stars. That is absolutely correct. Adam, Excellent. it's hopeless for you. I know. I'm always happy I at least get one or two. So I'm, okay, I'm a winner good. already. <laughs> uh, Penny Johnson makes her first appearance as Cisco's love interest, the freighter captain Cassidy Yates. In Next Gen's seventh season, she played Dobara in the episode titled Homeward. Worf's pseudo brother Nikolai was observing her village and violated the Prime Directive to save them by beaming the entire village to the holodeck aboard the Enterprise. He also violated the Prime Directive in a more unique way with Dobara. To what am I referring? Oh, I'm trying to remember the episode. Beamed up. So it's who? Who are you saying? Um, broke the prime directive which character um Nikolai okay did something oh okay okay now this episode's coming back to me what did he do to her I remember what did he do to her um he married her and had a child okay I'll give you that yes he got her family that's what I was looking for he got her pregnant Mm -hmm. see there was a whole he violated the prime directive yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah, (laughs) think of uh, Not really a gray area there on that one, you know, <laughs> the prime directive. The guys are good fellas being with Cassidy Yates. That's just odd. Yeah. <laughs> it took me a minute to kind of access that episode. I'm like, oh, where's, where's that one in my head? It's weird because it doesn't seem like a seven season episode, does it? No, no. no. I remember right. that, but didn't Worf have to wear the weird little costume? Like, kind of like, oh, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. <clears throat> um. Okay, so, uh, well, this episode is going to come out on Thursday. Steve and I will actually be at the Creation Trek convention in Vegas. Um, if anybody's going to be there, send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. Um, oh, by the way, hey, I'm going to be at the, um, the Chicago Comic Con this weekend. Oh, cool. I think Stuart's going to be there on Saturday, so. Wow. All right. Well, yeah, somebody yeah. send an email there, and you can hook up with uh, Adam Caesar. Mm-hmm. He can take you to Geno's East, like you did yeah. uh, five years ago when, when we went to the uh, 30th uh, oh. convention anniversary. Um, so, we will see you in a couple of weeks when we do the last three episodes of season three. And I am so dang excited mm-hmm. to get to season four. Not that the end of season three is bad by any shot, but... Uh, I love the opening season. We were talking about it after our podcast last time. How excited we all are to open season four. Yep, yep. So, um, let's see. Uh, so follow us on uh, Twitter, Trek Companion, at, at Trek Companion, and uh, leave us a review on iTunes. That would be awesome. And you can, um, we'd really love that. You know, I kind of glaze over that, but that would be really great if you could, Some, please, that would be awesome. Leave us a review on iTunes. Just click the little... Uh, review button type they're so awesome um, yeah, I'd have down. they're awesome Steve's yeah. <laughs> <have> baby <laughs> <laughs> and uh, click you know the button and it's all good uh, and then you can also send us an email at trekcompanion at gmail.com so we will catch you next time bye guys bye. see you. <laughs>